Hey, well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, it's great to be back with you. I enjoyed a trip last Sunday to Atlanta for a small conference, and uh, you know now we're we're back and ready to go. Is it something I said? Yeah. All right. Uh, we're always thankful for Children's Church, and uh, afterwards you can find those little people that belong to you again uh, just right out there, okay? They will be brought right back up for, for you uh, in there, okay? And they're actually going to be downstairs, like I said. They are going to be downstairs <laughs> and not up here. Uh, I clearly know that routine really well, all right? But they do exist. They will not leave the building. They will be safe. I promise you that. But they'll be downstairs. My bad. Okay. Um, well, thank you to Kevin for taking last, last Sunday. was not here, but was able to listen to it online. And by the way, we offer that, that ministry service to you if you'd like to listen to our podcast. Appreciated your story, Kevin, your passion, your personal uh, sharing with us. Thanks for, for filling in. We're back in a uh, series we're calling Power. And the reason we're calling it Power is simply because we believe that there's a couple different ways that you can use power and influence that we have in the world. And we would like to argue that everybody, no matter your age, no matter your age, you have power and you have influence to people around you. Even if you're just three years old, you have power and you have influence. Maybe your parents realize that more than you, but you can impact your siblings, you can impact your co-workers, you can impact your future based on your relationships and how you use them. And we're suggesting in this series that there's different ways that people use power and that the default view or the natural way of seeing power is something that we want to kind of question and challenge. And the reason we have this series image like this is because we believe that Jesus, because he came to earth, we believe, and died on the cross, we believe, and went into the grave and came back to life and was resurrected, we believe that he gives us a unique view of power, that out of death comes life. And therefore, Jesus said, I didn't come uh, to be served, but to serve. And the one of the most powerful men who's ever been walking on this planet brings this view of power to the planet and introduces a concept called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is an upside-down view of how we should use our influence. And so this morning, I want to take you to the next teaching point that Jesus makes as he's gathered a bunch of people around him on the hillside uh, to teach and make this, some ideas clear about the kingdom of heaven. And to kind of set that up and frame that up for where we're going this morning, I need to say that I believe, and you can interact with me on this and you can agree or disagree, but I believe we're actually in a season in our society, in our culture, where we are a highly offendable society. I don't know if you've thought about it this way before, you probably have in different ways, but that it feels like almost anything that you say or that I might say that I put out there in public can be something that someone will take offense to. In fact, it was in 2016, the Pew Research Group did a study, and they found that 60% of Americans think that we're too highly offended as a society. And I would say it's probably more than that by now. In fact, some of you may have come across this meme in different formats along the way through your uh, you know, travels online, but this is often what I think it feels like to us um, here. Like, as we kind of wake up, it's like, well, good morning, America. You know, what are we offended by today? Because certainly there's going to be something that we're offended by today. Uh, so here's how this works. If I post on my um, social media account, number one, you might be surprised. But number two, if I were to say, um, I like cookie dough ice cream, just simple, simple statement like that, right? Well, here's what will happen. Those who do not like cookie dough may be offended that I didn't choose the flavor that they might prefer. Those who are lactose intolerant, might be like, seriously, you're going there? You're going to remind me that I can't eat ice cream when I go out? Like, really? Or those who own businesses that would benefit from people not eating ice cream. We're like, really? You're going to use your platform to talk about eating ice cream and how that would be beneficial to you? Seriously? 
Really? You're going to do that? Like, yeah, I guess I'm going to do that. You know, those who would be like, you know what, seriously, Tim, you're not going to emphasize other eating options, other desserts, or local businesses who do other dessert options, and all you're going to talk about is ice cream? Like, yeah, that's all I'm going to talk about. That's all I'm going to talk about is ice cream. And it seems like, it seems like, in our society, something as simple as that, now that may be a stretch, but it's something as simple as that is something that is not too hard to find people who can be offended by. And I would like to argue that we're living in a world in which it does not take long for someone to react to something that is said in leadership otherwise and be highly offended by it. Now the question is, the question is, what do people do who are Christians who are growing up in a world of social media reactions where one statement from our government or from our school leaders or from our business leaders or from a peer or from a friend causes a reaction, a reaction, a reaction, a very reactionary, highly offensive society that we live in. If you're growing up in that, how is it that people should react? How is it that we should interact in a world which is highly offendable and creates great sensitivities? What should we do? And I'd like to also say this, that my reason for um, speaking about this today, number one, it's in the Bible, but number two, when we can't figure out how to interact with people who are different than us and who, whose viewpoints might cause us offense, when we get offended by everything, we lose our voice for anything. When we get offended by everything, we lose our voice for, for anything, practically. Because when I use my voice and my platform and my influence to react to this view or that view or this person or that person, and that becomes what I do, then I lose my voice to speak about the things that actually really matter because I cannot distinguish the things that are of most importance to me. And so this is why it matters to me that we take a moment and talk about how offendable we are and how one should interact in this world because... I want your voice, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want your voice to be strong in the town square where you are. I want your voice to be strong for what Jesus teaches and for his kingdom where you are. And so I don't want your voice to be wasted on things that don't need to be addressed or offenses that you might feel that maybe could be covered by love rather than a reaction. Because when we react to everything, we lose our voice for almost anything. This morning, Jesus gives us a different way to react to things that we are instinctively offended by. Whether it's by how our parents react to us, our boss treats us, our co-workers engage with us, the things that we think have been unfair to us, the way that that girl talked about my friend's prom dress, the way that she talks about her hair, okay, the way that, that he said and dumped her the way that he did, and the fact that my co-worker got something that I didn't get, and I can't believe they get that, and she gets, and blah, 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 blah. And Jesus gives us another option. In a highly offendable society, he gives us another option that I think is really quite profound and very powerful. And that is an option that we see laid out for us in the little gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 is where we are. And if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew around you. Matthew 5 is what we call the opening of the New Testament. In the right two-thirds of your Bible, you'll see um, the New Testament kind of open up and, and it's the begins with Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. Matthew is the first, what we call gospel written. Uh, and Matthew is a follower of Jesus, and he wrote down some things. And we're in a place in Matthew 5 where 
Jesus is speaking on the side of the, the, the hillside, and he's brought hundreds, if not thousands, of people together to hear him speak. And what he's talking about is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about this kingdom, this power, this authority structure of how the kingdom works. And in, we're going really verse by verse slowly through this. And if you see this, uh, you'll see it in chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 10, and we're going to camp out in verse 7 here this morning. But here's the context again, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Now, we are focusing this morning, we are at verse 7 of this teaching that Jesus has. All right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And reading from the NIV, it reads this way, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. A very simple teaching, but very profound in its impact. Now, I want to begin right away by trying to define what he means by merciful. What does it mean when he uses this word for merciful? And I'd like to suggest to you as a working definition this, that mercy is a generous attitude that is slow to take offense and quick to set aside revenge. That mercy is a generous attitude that is slow to take offense and quick to set aside revenge. That it speaks to the attitude of our mindset. It speaks to the attitude of our heart. That when I wake up, that my attitude toward you, and I hope your attitude toward me, will be a generous one first. That mercy's attitude is this way. Mercy's attitude is generous. Mercy's attitude is slow to take offense and quick to set aside revenge. In our world, it is honorable to seek revenge for things that we are wronged by. In fact, that's the natural way to handle your offenses, is it not? When I'm offended and someone has criticized me or someone has criticized my friend, is it not natural and normal? And do not we celebrate the people who defend someone else's cause? And we say we're just kind of getting even, or we might just say I'm venting a little bit. But in reality, what it is is we're kind of pursuing revenge. Like when you have offended me, I want you to go through the same kind of pain that you put me through. And so I may not be able to do that to you personally, but I certainly will take your name and run your name out to my friends and say, can you believe, can you believe that she would say that in that place? Are you serious? I can't believe. Do you think that's a good idea? Of course. No, I don't think that's a good idea. Good. So we both think she's a loser. That makes me feel better. And now I've just had a little bit of vengeance. Now I've gotten even. And this is how we handle offenses if we're not careful. And Jesus introduces this thing. He says, blessed are, in other words, happy are, satisfied, full are, the merciful. The people who have a generous attitude, who are slow to take offense and quick to set aside revenge, for they will be shown mercy. Now, the question I have about this is, how does this work? 
This is a big concept, and it's really too big to get my hands on because it leaves too many questions. So how does it work? Now, the, the gift of this for Jesus' teaching is that he actually fleshes this out in the Gospel of Matthew. And so in the, in the chapters that follow, he actually gives some examples of what it means to be merciful. So I want to take you to a couple places in Matthew that show this. So if you still have your Bible, move over to Matthew chapter 9 for me. Matthew chapter 9, verse, beginning at verse 9. And I want to show you what Jesus is doing here. So Jesus is there in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and and here we read, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Don't miss the, the power of that statement. Matthew writes it like there's nothing going on, but that is a big deal. Many, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Just pause it for a minute. Um, how many of you have ever been wrapped up? No, that, I'm not going to raise your hand on that. How many of you know people who have ever been wrapped up in a pyramid scheme? Financial, anyone know anyone? Yep, a couple of you. How many of you like smell pyramid schemes from a mile away? How many of you love people who try to sell you on pyramid scheme things? Right, okay. And so in a way, this is what tax collectors are uh, in this space. Like they are local people who live next to you, who gouge you for fun, and who you can actually do nothing about, and it's worse than the pyramid scheme people. These are people who have been given a right by the Roman government at this time to take taxes from you and from me. They, they're our neighbors. This is worse than pyramid schemers. These are people who no one wants to hang out with. And so here's Jesus, the Savior of the world, just going to hang out with the pyramid schemers, right? He's going out to hang out with the tax collectors as if this is normal. This isn't normal. This is crazy. And he gets criticized for it. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, who does that? <laughs> it's the dumbest thing in the world. If you're planning to save the world, like, this isn't the way to do it. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, and if you've been in church before, you may have heard this. If you haven't, then that's fine. Here you go. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Ooh, okay. Wow, that's good. We often stop there. But verse 13 continues, and he explains it more. And he says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what in the world does that mean? The, the reason that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners is because, well, the sick need a doctor. That makes sense. But then he says, go and learn what this means. Like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does that have to do with eating with tax collectors? It's kind of weird and confusing. I don't see the connection. What Jesus is saying is, I don't desire the sacrifice of the law. Like, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were the ones who were saying, these are the sacrifices the law requires. Boom, boom, boom. And a part of the sacrifices means that you are kept holy and pure. And what Jesus is saying, I don't just desire the sacrifices of the law. I desire mercy, not just the sacrifices. And so go, Pharisees, and learn what this means, that I want more than just obedience to the law. There's something underneath that that I want that drives me to do things that people like you don't do who are rule followers. Go and learn what this means. Not only do the sick need a doctor, but also the, you need to learn what it means to be merciful. They don't learn it. 
And they have another interaction with Jesus in chapter 12 of Matthew. So as you've been turning, just turn a couple more pages in your Bible or scroll a couple more pages on your phone or whatever, and we'll get to Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew 12, Jesus has another interaction beginning at verse 1 with these Pharisees and the same concept. He takes it further here, though, okay? At that time, verse 1, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. <laughs> if you're hungry and you're walking through the buffet line, like it is hard not to grab something, right? And they're walking through the grain fields, and they are hungry, and so they eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Pause it. The Pharisees are offended because their rules have just been broken. And they worked hard to keep their rules and to set them up and to defend what they think is the right of God. And so the Pharisees are, are ticked off, like they're angry. like They're rule followers and they just saw the disciples break the rules. Do any of you, like me, ever get secondary anxiety for other people who break laws that you don't break? Like, I remember, you know, it's instinctive for people like me who are rule followers. Um, like, I think, it, I think, some of you could correct me, I think at Gap Park you're not allowed to ride your bicycle on the walking path. I think there's a sign there. Does anyone know that? I, I think that might be true. Okay, and so when I see someone riding their bike, immediately I get anxiety for them. I'm like, <sighs> like someone is going to yell at you soon because you're a rule breaker. Like, it's not even my issue, right? But I just kind of get that secondary anxiety for being a rule follower, like, <sighs> like you're going to get in trouble. And, and even worse, like, if you don't get in trouble, you should. <laughs> right? That's right. That's right. Because there's rules in this world for a reason. You can't just ride your bike anywhere you want. So here's the Pharisees. Jesus, 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 I don't know if you noticed what we noticed, but we're following you, and we're going through the green fields, and we're just tracking you, and did you see your people eating, and did you know that they're breaking the law on the Sabbath? To which Jesus said, thank you for telling me. I will now chastise them, and we will no longer walk through the green fields. Jesus says, verse 3, he answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do. They broke the law, but only for the priests. Or haven't you, verse 5, haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, that very day we're talking about, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you, this is crazy, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. No wonder they wanted to kill him. Verse 7. If you had known, look at this, if you had known what these words mean, again, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It sounds familiar. We just read that. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And look what he says. You would not have condemned the what? The guilty? You would not have condemned the innocent. Do not miss that statement. Look what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, I know they broke your law. I know they broke the law of God. But they are innocent. He is recasting guilt and innocence, not on the issue of breaking the law, but on missing the bigger point. In fact, I put it this way. The guilty one isn't the one 
who broke the law, but the one who failed to show mercy. Please do not miss this if you are a rule follower, if you get offended. Jesus is saying, Pharisees, yes, they broke the law, but let me tell you, they are the innocent ones. You are the guilty one. When you see that person, Tim, riding his bike around Gap Park, and you judge them for what they do, you are the guilty one, not them. That is not fair. Because they broke the law. And mercy is never fair. It was never intended to be fair. And Jesus recasts who's guilty and who is innocent. Look what he says. The reason he says this is in verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's his why. That's not quite as clear as the same story that's told in Mark. Mark tells the same story. And here's what Jesus says. Here's what Mark records in Mark 2.27. On the same story, Jesus finishes it this way, according to Mark. He puts it this way. The Sabbath, this is why. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Does that make sense? In other words, the Sabbath rules were made for the benefit of the man. Like We created these rules to assist, help, and support humanity. Not the Sabbath, not man for the Sabbath. Man wasn't created after the Sabbath rules were created. And we're like, well, we should put some people in that category. Like, let's make up some rules and then throw people in there and have them obey the law. Like, no, like the law exists, the rules exist to support human flourishing. The rules exist so that we can benefit from them living in an orderly society. Like, the rules are made for man's benefit. And so when you miss that, and you're critical of and offended by those who break the law, and you miss that the law was there so that we can figure out as people how to live well in love and faithfulness and in mercy and compassion with one another, you miss the point of the law. The law wasn't there so that now we have a way to criticize everybody. Now we have a fair way to be judgmental to everybody. Now, oh, now we have a way that we can be offended by people who break our laws. The Pharisees thought that. But Jesus says, listen, it's not that way. The Son of Man, the Son of Man came for something different. The Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. This is a game changer. So here's the thing. You know who's good, by the way, at having a really generous attitude about mercy? It's fitting for a day like today. The answer is moms. <laughs> the answer is also grandmoms. Maybe especially grandmas who don't have to take the small people home with them every day and every night. <laughs> Not against children at all. all right? Don't be offended by that, please. Okay. Because what does grandma do when, when she sees a uh, little junior grabbing an extra cookie after like the time for cookies is over? Or there's a candy thing on the counter and the grandkids grab a little bit of extra. What, are the, what does grandma do? Don't answer that. And don't compare, compare it in your mind, but don't answer this. What would mom do compared to grandma? See, mom says, listen, there's two cookies for dinner. We're having it, and that's it, and we're done. And, and junior, you know, 20 minutes later, whatever, when no one's looking, goes and grabs another cookie from the cookie jar. Mom sees that, depending on mom's mood. I'm not critical of moms. Like, I get it. I think dads would do the same thing. But, like, 
man, that's the end of the world. Like, no, no, like you're disobeying, your heart is evil, like it's only going to go, like you're going to be in prison someday for disobeying. And, and grandma's like, oh, that's so cute. Like, <laughs> right? Like, isn't that the way it works? It's mercy. It's mercy extended through grandma. Just being like, yeah, the, there it is. I have this generous attitude, right? Isn't that the way it is? Because I know the rule. Like grandma, it's not like grandma didn't hear mom say, no, you can't have another cookie. Like I heard the law. I heard the rule laid down. But, but listen, the cookies were made for man. <laughs> right? I, the, so grandma extends this, this generous attitude of mercy and compassion. And then you know what mom does if she gets older and she becomes a grandma? That's right, the same thing for her grandkids too. And there's something in that that's a lesson for all of us. There's something in there that's a lesson of mercy. There's something in there that demonstrates a generous attitude that's slow to take offense and quick to set aside revenge. Blessed are the merciful. Because they get it. They'll be shown mercy. It's an interesting statement Jesus says to finish it up, because they're going to be shown mercy. What does he mean by that? Only those who are merciful will be shown mercy? No, I don't think so. I think what he means, there's going to come a time, at the end of time, when the mercy that we have experienced as people who are Christians, who confessed our sin, placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and by grace have been saved, that the mercy of salvation is sometimes just in our brains and it's theoretical. But there will come a time when mercy's fullness will be realized for us in heaven. Where the fullness of being in the presence of God and understanding just how generous his attitude has been to us will profoundly rock us. We'll be deeply moved by the mercy of God. You will be shown. You will see one day deep God's mercy has gone for you and for me. And this is why Jesus says, blessed are the merciful now. Because you're going to see it. You're going to see it. There will come a time when you will experience in heaven the fullness, the mercy of God. Before we cast aside rules, I want to say this. I'm going to turn to one more passage really quickly and then have a couple questions for you. If you're still in Matthew, go over to Matthew 23 quickly. Because what I want to finish with is this idea that we're not just to throw away all rules and order. I'm not arguing for a ruleless society or that we should just be people who are like walking Hallmark cards, just being nice to everybody and, you know, whatever. Like that's not exactly what Jesus even pictures. Look at Matthew 23, um, beginning at verse 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. In other words, you're following the law, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. And he identifies them right here. Justice, and there's our word, mercy and faithfulness. Like those are the more important matters. Those are the things that matter. You should have, look what he says here, this is important. He says, you should have actually practiced the latter, meaning justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. In other words, don't neglect some of this order. Don't neglect some of the rules. Like, like I'm not against order for society. It, prevent, it 
provides opportunities for human flourishing. We're not against rules. We're not against that. That's not the point. Like, practice that, function well within an orderly society, but please, 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 don't neglect mercy, faithfulness, and justice. He says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. And so let me ask, let me tell you this. Again, why do I want to speak on this and talk to you for a minute? Because, again, I don't want you to lose your voice by chasing down everything, by responding to everything, by being quick for revenge, quick to getting even, quick to retribution, quick to be offended. Jesus lays out a different mentality, and I'll tell you, it is very unnatural. But he says, blessed are those. Man, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more satisfied if you actually are more generous in your attitude. If you're quick, set aside revenge and slow to be offended. The reason I want this for you is because I want your voice to carry. And you know, and I do, the people who are most merciful, their voice carries the furthest. We listen to them. Now, let me ask you this. Let me, let me say this. The older we get, the harder this becomes because of this reason, that the more rules we know, the less mercy we show. The more rules we know, the less mercy we show. And this is hard, but it's true. So the more rules I know, like because I know you're not allowed to ride your bike on the Gap Park walking thing, like that, I have a reaction to that. But the kid who's riding his bike probably didn't see the sign. Still his fault, right? But I know the rule. The more rules I know, the harder it is for me to show mercy to you and you to me. And so if you've grown up in church, if you've grown up as a rule follower, if you are an older child, we love you. In fact, I'm married to an older child. But it is harder the more rules you know to show the mercy. But it's still there. And so let me ask you this question. Who is on your most offended by list? Do you have a list like this? People you see often? Don't raise your hand. You have an in-law on this list? you have a family member on this list? you have a church member on this list? Do you have a co-worker on this list? Do you have a boss here? Do you have an ex on this list? Do you have someone that you watch on TV, a commentator? Do you have a, polit- a politician on this list? Do you have a former friend, a teacher, a coach? Do you have someone on this list of people that you are just mm, offended by? Who's on your most offended by list? And let me ask you this next question then. What kind of mercy has God already shown to you? What kind of mercy has God already shown to you? And here's the prayer that I, I have for me that I want to give to you as I have been processing this teaching. It's a small little prayer, but I think it's helpful. And I hope it'll be helpful for you as you try to process, what do I do with this? And I want to encourage you to consider even just praying this when you wake up in the morning and, and offer this prayer. Or when you have a reaction and you're incited in anger because you've been offended, offer this prayer. And simply this, God... Help me have a generous attitude so I can be a voice for your mercy to those who need it now. Simple. God, help me to have a generous attitude. Help me to have a generous attitude so I can be a voice for your mercy to those who need it now. Because I want your voice to carry with your peers, with your classmates, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your family, with the people even that you've been upset with for a long time who all of a sudden might see a softening of your heart because of mercy and a generous attitude. Because I want the hope of Jesus to carry in every part of the world which you and I live in. God, help me 
to have a generous attitude so that I can show mercy to the people around me who need it today. Blessed, blessed, satisfied, fulfilled, happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. No matter what. Next week, one more teaching on Jesus. If you've ever wondered what it looked like to see God, Jesus gives us that insight. And we're going to cover that next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who are merciful, who are generous in our attitudes toward our kids in our homes, toward our spouses when they come home, toward our exes, toward our past, and even into our future. I pray that we would be people who are slow to take offense, that we are quick to set aside revenge so that the hope of Jesus and the hope of the gospel can be made known in every relationship that we have, that our hearts are softened, that our mercy is raised, and that we understand the more important components of the law and order, even in our society today. Give us patience and grace, even with ourselves, and help us, indeed, to be merciful, generous, with compassion that never fails. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.